Hello, and welcome to Over My Head, a look back at Pop's past, presented to you by Los Lovely Boys. Please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast to get these episodes as they drop. The music for our podcast, as always, is provided by the artist Friend of Yours. This is a podcast where we dissect all things pop from the recent past. Today, we are hoping to answer the all-important question, why did the song Over My Head by The Fray pop? This is episode three of our show, and I have my co-host, Chris and Stefan, with me as usual. Hello, hello. Hello. We're doing good. Um, we, uh, we're, we're proud to be a part of the episode that gave us our name. Yeah, I was going to say, this is really exciting that we were kind of thinking of an ep- of a you know title, and this is one that kind of came. So we said, let's you know not do it as the first one or two, but let's get it in there eventually. Yeah. No, number it, three is a nice, odd prime number. It is prime, right? That's math. I think. Yeah. It doesn't have a square root. I, I don't know. It's been a while since a high school math course. Yeah, we wanted to switch it up a bit too. We've done two like pop, you know, rap, pop, hip hop songs. So we're gonna give people a little bit of a different flair, and we're hoping to do you know all different kinds of things with the the podcast. Uh, how are you? How are you guys this week? I mean, it, it's just a blur from the last time we recorded. There's no days. There's only sun ups and sundowns. Yeah, I'll tell you what. It's been uh, it's been interesting. In the past week, Austin uh, switched to a pretty strict mask on policy. Um, so it's uh, you know just walking outside every single day, getting used to wearing a mask. Um, just uh, still very much in um, in quarantine, lockdown, whatever you want to call this, social distancing. We're we're still doing it. Um, of course, for posterity, this is the this is also the week that we um, that we got word that there's going to be a three phase plan to open back up, and we're not going to get too far into that, but. Okay, we'll we'll see how that one goes. That yeah, was my take. I, I think of like uh, the office where he's like, "We got a blank step plan. You get this in so many days, and, and we're good." And I'm like, "Yeah, I, I have no faith uh, that that's gonna happen." Actually, uh, in there, so pretty much. When plans are weak, people like to put them into tiers or numbers to show there's some sort of structure to make up for the lack of substance. And I think that's an example of what we have here. But we, we won't dive into politics. It's just uh, I, I'm expecting this age of Rona to be kind of ebbing and flowing. Yeah, I mean, this is why we're uh, this is why it's worth mentioning, though. It's, it's happening in real time. Yeah, it is. And we want to, like I said in the first episode, we want to give people a little distraction. And this is a good distraction for us, too. So we want to make sure that if you are listening, thank you. Uh, we're kind of all around we've had people listen to us overseas and everywhere so we thank you all for listening and we hope that we can provide some laughs and some distraction from what's going on in the outside world over my head and over all around the world (laughs) that's a good way to put it yeah so um let's kind of dive right into things as you all know for legal reasons by now we cannot play the song here uh but want you to please go listen to it whether that's spotify youtube apple music whatever you choose to listen to music we want you to support the artists and to at least get a feel for remembering the song. And on the other side, we will break down into our memories surrounding the song, history, production, and of course, the lyrics. So go ahead and listen to Over My Head by The Fray and enjoy some notes as well uh, that kind of you know go with the song. And we'll see you on the other side. Right, 
so now that we are back, uh, let's go with our reaction. So it's 2006, uh, and what was your guys' memories of the first time you heard this song, or even just surrounding it? Um, I definitely have the memory of being in middle school angst. This is one of those songs that it's raining, it's cold, you put your head against the glass of the bus, and you're sad as shit. And you're watching the raindrops eat each other while thinking about a girl or something, and this is like a, a raindrop watching song. It's very sad, soft rock, soft pop. It really was huge in the 2000s. I don't think we get piano-driven pop songs like we did with this song in today's day and age. Not only do we not get this sort of ballad um, in uh, in today's day and age, but you know, even at that time, it was uh, it was this was this wasn't the ballad heyday. You know, like we were uh, we were still uh several years past like the you know 80s 90s etc so it, it you know it hit it hit different even at the time is, is one of my biggest memories yeah it's like uh it's contemporary rock uh, for sure so when i think contemporary rock i think of this song the first thing i uh thought about when i thought about this song though was that it is mom approved that's the first thing that i actually thought of was it's like you would throw it on the on anywhere and your mom would be like yeah, I like this. This is good. Um, not even knowing the band or anything. Uh, so I kind of thought, hashtag mom approved uh, in that way. It is definitely mom approved. <laughs> I mean, kind of kind of with the ballad thing, it's just a classic sounding song, you know? Yeah, um, I mean, I feel like the other two songs we reviewed and like broke down maybe weren't as mom approved or parent approved. But this one, you, you'd be like, oh, yes, this, this is the good one that we're going to listen to uh, on the radio. It's one of those songs that grocery stores play because they know it's not going to offend anyone. It's not going to offend a seven-year-old. And everybody knows the words. It's not too, it's not, it doesn't have a tempo that's going to make you feel anxiety or loud sounds. It's just a nice, subtle song that is kind of timeless in a way. I think too, it's another, it's one of those songs that's like deceptively catchy. Um, it's, I mean, obviously How to Save a Life was the big, uh, was the big smash for the fray and from that album, but um that uh but i think that's going to be a song that everyone's kind of like surprised that they remember it almost like i mean that's i know i did like i i was listening back and i'm like yeah i guess i do know every single word to this and i i mean when i was uh i, I kind of brought me back to being younger like i remember watching the music video and um you know just kind of zoning into the song and uh that was definitely kind of the sort of thing that at the time was i that at the time i listened to really um but even more so and probably the reason i was listening to it because i was so young it was what was uh it was what was starting to get pretty big on the radio yeah and this is even before our other two songs by uh few years actually you know two two ish years uh so different type of sound different type of song altogether of course too but uh we wanted to break down something a little bit different so we're gonna kind of mm. dive into some of those things so stefan let's get going with some of the history surrounding the song what was going around on around you know this time late 2005 early 2006 Sure, let's hop into the time machine and go back into about around 15 years ago. Actually, I take that back. Let's dive back 18 years ago. We're going back to 02 when the fray formed. So, you know, it took some time to marinate. 
Uh, you had the fray members such as Isaac Slade, Joe King, and the bassist Caleb Slade. And you're thinking Caleb Slade, Isaac Slade. Yeah, they're brothers. Oh, oh. And that's how we get. That's how we get this <laughs> by song. blood. By blood, indeed. Okay. So th- this trio brothers. and more, they uh, kind of met in the Christian community around Denver. They uh, were musicians in their local churches. Actually, went to the same Christian academy. So then they decided to form a band. And you had Isaac Slade. He's the lead singer. He's also uh, the guy playing the piano. You have a guitarist. Then you have Caleb Slade, the younger brother of Isaac, who is the bassist. And he was the bassist for one year before Isaac came up to him and said, yeah, we really don't think your bass playing is actually up to snuff. Oh. Okay. Yeah. That's dramatic. It's not like really you know, Christ-like, that, really. I don't know. Not Christ-like. No, you think you accept your kin, you know, no matter, and you, you want them to grow with you as your band um, grows. But this was one year into the band, and he's just like, yeah, Caleb, this is not going to cut it. So... Caleb, as anybody who's been playing with their brother since the early days of his childhood, took this exceptionally hard. He was quoted as saying it was crushing, and I was a mess, dude. And dude, I would be a mess too if my brother cut me from the band. So out of that, we get, we'll get back to Caleb's story later, but just keep that in mind. That is a major backbone for this song. And where are they from? Denver, Denver, Colorado. So that, yeah, they met in churches, they uh, went to the Christian Academy, so that's part of their foundation, this faith, and that'll come across in their career as well. So then they move on without their brother Caleb, they released two EPs between 2002 and 2005, Uh, that actually catches the attention of some radio stations in the Denver area, and the single that really catches fire there is Cable Car. And that later became Over My Head, in parentheses, Cable Car. So that was the song that got them signed to Epic Records. And then you have Caleb Lisfrey now getting attention on a national scale. They get signed to their debut album, How to Save a Life. And that album debuts in September 13th, 2005. To put some perspective here, Hurricane Katrina happened a few weeks earlier and Saddam Hussein just went on trial. So that's how long ago this is, a solid 15 years. So the song is actually interwoven. I mentioned the song, the debut album is How to Save a Life, and that song is going to come up later. They're kind of interrelated in how Over My Head became so popular. Over My Head was released in October 2005. It didn't actually hit its peak until eight months later when it hit number eight on June 3rd, 2006. So how did it take that long to go from release to reaching the top 10? It's kind of piggybacking off of how to save a life. So in the mid-2000s, some of the major television at the time was um, hospital dramas. You had Grey's Anatomy and you had Scrubs. And ER and all these other huge house. I can go on and on. It was a major genre. And uh, Grey's Anatomy and Scrubs both featured the song How to Save a Life in March of that year. Now, you're listening to this and you're like, this is a podcast about Over My Head. Why are you talking about How to Save a Life? That song probably got ingrained into a captive audience who was watching all of these hospital dramas and they discovered the band that way. So they said, oh, that's the fray. And Over My Head was the first single from that album. They went there. It was available to them. And as soon as that 
song, How to Save a Life, was featured in those commercials and actual episodes. The song was 89 on Hot 100 in early March. By the end of March, it jumped to 48. So that's just the impact of these hospital dramas featuring, you know, a very safe, soft now, rock song. Now, when you, when you say that, too, um, when I was talking earlier with my girlfriend, she was like, isn't, hasn't this been used like in in something uh, this song and you're like no that's actually chasing cars which is used in Grey's Anatomy a lot another hospital drama yeah. um, and I was like yeah they're pretty similar songs actually um, between those two great song yeah great song too but they're and they're the, pretty similar you kind of like, like oh like same genre same you know type of shows might use it the the music yeah that's true definitely in the same sort of ballad quote unquote ballad vibes. Yeah, and you had a lot of piano-driven soft rock bands. The biggest were like Coldplay in this decade. And then you had all the way from Keen to The Script to Snow Patrol, which you just mentioned. And they all kind of existed in the same time, but we're not really seeing them now. So it's nice to reminisce. Yeah, well, a lot of them didn't seem to uh, to make the transition to 2010's pop sound very smoothly. No, not a lot of those are around or even relevant at this time. Coldplay, of course, but, you know, like, Keen, yeah, Coldplay, no, Coldplay, Frey, no, really. and Coldplay barely even. And this is coming from a big Coldplay fan. Coldplay barely even stuck the landing. And they really had to cling to EDM to cling to yeah. revel- relevance. I mean, yeah, sadly enough. I mean, I, I I will say like, um, of the of the others who were big at this time, Coldplay is probably the biggest example of staying power along with kind of adjacent Maroon 5. Um, they were they were definitely a little bit earlier than this, but they did. They ended up kind of having some hits around the same time and in the same sort of vein. Um, this love, yeah. Yeah, but they, uh, but in general, I mean, the fray, uh, the fray came at the right time for this sort of sound. That's a good way to put it, actually. Yeah, so... The- the American public was used to this sound and then they see it in mass media and they cling to it. So Over My Head then reaches its peak by June 8th, 2006. At that same time, How to Save a Life was 84 on the chart, so they were both in the top 100. They kind of coexisted together. And the song had huge staying power. You could actually classify it as a summer hit. It's reaching the peak in June and it didn't fall out. It hovered around the top 10, maybe dipping to 11 or so but hovering in that mark until September. So it was really throughout that summer. And then How to Save a Life had a 58-week run on Hot 100. So America had the fray in the Hot 100 for over a year and a half. Holy cow. All right. 2006 to 2007. And that's kind of crazy when you consider that they found, they uh, formed five years before that. Yeah, that's pretty, even for like pop, like, you know, stardom. Yeah, that's a quick amount of time. I know like people go viral now quicker uh, Lil Nas X True. comes to mind even uh, I mean not that I followed him before but like I mean really from nothing to huge you know in weeks uh, but I feel like back then that might have been act- a really really quick time to go this yeah. was yeah this was pre Facebook pre Twitter you might have had MySpace but it, it didn't have the same virality that a lot of these artists uh, have at their disposal today and with the other two songs we featured like T.I. was an acclaimed hip-hop artist for the decade before 
Mm-hmm. And then Carrie Hilson was involved in the industry, maybe not as an artist, but she was connected with major artists and had major features on her song. This was the first song from a band doing it the old-fashioned way, releasing their demos to radio and their local... And the drama yes. to go with it, too. I feel like this could be like a, a movie plot. Like, you gotta let your brother go in order to make it big, you know? <laughs> it feels like kind of like that. Yeah, there has to be a blood <laughs> sacrifice. <laughs> I suspect that... Um, I suspect also that that's a testament to just how much of tastemakers those shows were at the time. Um, like, the Grey's Anatomy type. I, I mean, and I... I can't imagine. I can't remember what it is off the top of my head, but I've heard it referred to in the past as like almost a style, like the sort of music that was that. Oh, it's almost a genre. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Like ended up being big on that on that uh, sort of show, but that just kind of you know also shows uh, it being a different time. I mean, shows just don't have that kind of sway anymore on the pop charts nowadays. It's TikTok or like. Um, or whatever is happening in anything meme wise like this like this was this was an era where what culture culture still kind of revolved around tv and at a higher level hollywood gatekeepers i mean this was definitely something that was approved at some point down the line and definitely something that was like you said anthony mom approved i mean it's I, yeah. I i mean i wouldn't say i wouldn't go as far as to say that this is this sort of music is intentionally written to be um mom approved necessarily but you know it's i mean if you're uh if you're if you're able to get your song on that sort of placement at the time that was that was huge i mean that was how you really accelerated yeah all about the plays on the radio and what, what people are going to listen to i mean it was on the pop stations but we had it like mm-hmm. alt pop or I don't know how you describe the radio station uh, back in Chicago. I think it was like 93.9, um, The Light or something. I forgot what it was called. But it would play like the contemporary pop, contemporary rock like type of things that this was like perfect, you know, formula yeah. for. Yeah, so I mean, Chris is absolutely right. That kind of sway from mass media doesn't exist today especially in the era of streaming you can still watch Grey's Anatomy but yeah. I guarantee a lot of people are doing it at different times or binging it well, I guess, they, yeah from binging it yeah I think centralized media is the biggest difference this is this is a centralized this aired at 8pm and the next day everyone went to go buy it type of media check their artist profile out on iTunes yeah so that that's a perfect segue for some of the accolades this song ended up achieving for 2006, it had 2 million downloads. It was probably one of the largest uh, downloaded songs at the time, thinking about iTunes' its history. In the U.S. alone, 2 million, this was the fifth most downloaded song of that year. It, it also ranked uh, 13th on the Hot 100 for the year in 2006. Billboard thought it was a smash of the decade, ranking it 43 on the best adult pop songs. So that's a major accolade for a song. For a whole decade, yeah. And then um, it was also nominated for the Best Pop Performance at 2007 Grammy Awards. It lost to a completely different song, My Humps by the Black Eyed Peas. You have night and day there. The, the two most different was, songs of all time, maybe. <laughs> I was, yeah, it's just jarring to see those two songs in the same sentence. Yeah. I mean, that was, uh, that was the time. It was one of the other... That really is like, it's crazy. Like I said, like you can't necessarily aim for 
the Grey's Anatomy type of um, demographic. I mean, my humps was definitely much bigger with the kids. My mom wouldn't be caught dead listening to that, no. But I would. Poor Sue Ellen. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, looking back after this song, The Fray have an awesome debut album, How to Save a Life, Over My Head, number eight. How to Save a Life ends up going to number three, so they have two top tens off their debut album. They would end up releasing three more albums. The Fray in 2009, that produced You Found Me. That was their last top ten hit. A lot of their Christian values came out in that song. I think it's pretty explicit. And then two more albums that really didn't gain any traction, Scars and Stories in 2012 and Helios in 2014. And since then, it's been fairly quiet. I think uh, some of the notes we mentioned about this genre of artists kind of having to jump on an EDM bandwagon in order to survive, I don't think the Frey have done it. They did jump with Timbaland in 2009 with the song Undertow on Shock Value 2. And I think that's an example of how maybe hip-hop and this genre don't work. I, I, I tried listening to that song again today, and it was pretty grating on the ears. I remember that one. That was a fun little thing that existed. I think Timbaland just was like, <laughs> we're going to try to get everyone who's big within the last five years and see what we can do. And he had some hits, on, or not some, a lot on that album. Yeah. But I think yeah. he was trying to, it wasn't to, the worst. to go with what was going on at within the last five years, if I had to guess. I mean, that album had a collaboration with Nickelback and a collaboration with Miley Cyrus. And I'd definitely say both of those turned out worse an undertow so true and i think one of the problems with shock value too as opposed to shock value was the amount on timbaland singing or putting his vocal <laughs> presence in increased exponentially that is true uh, but it did give us some timeless memories so i won't knock him for that yep. so overall i did want to circle back on our friend caleb caleb slade brother of isaac don't worry, he eventually found his way back to music. In 2011, he released a six-song EP titled Victory and Defeat. And I thought that was fitting because uh, a fallout with his brother became a top 10 hit, and that's got to be a lot of publicity you don't want out there. But he kind of just plowed through, took all the positives from it, and channeled it into art into his own EP. I listened to it to the first time today on Spotify. It only has a few thousand listens for each song. But it's fairly similar music to his brother. Maybe not as pop-ridden, but definitely piano, soft rock uh, genre in that category. And then in closing, unlike the other two songs we've covered where you could say this song was kind of maybe aided by a cultural event with Live Your Life maybe being the recession, and then you have Knock You Down, Michael Jackson's death definitely contributed to that song being as large of a pop hit as it was. I would say, like, as we've mentioned earlier in this little tidbit, The Fray kind of grinded in the old-fashioned way without viral memes. They released their single to radio, and the song caught on maybe due to mass media, but I think because the lyrics and the production are familiar to us, they're timeless. You can find similar songs in the 70s and 80s and 90s, and the lyrics are vague enough yet relevant enough where you can feel the pain, but you don't know it's about a falling out with the lead singer's brother. That's a good point. Yeah. You think it's about like a a woman or, you know, a lover or someone, but yeah, it's about a, a you know, relationship with someone that they're related to and the falling out. 
Yeah, and you can you can hear the lyrics and apply that to your own life without it being as personal as it was. And then one final note, I did want to mention this song did have a kind of uprising in 2016. Isaac Slade and Joe King, the guitarist, were credited as co-writers on the song Closer by the Chainsmokers. And um, I thought that was interesting. I didn't know that before doing the research, but Chris can dive into it about how similar those songs are. The Chainsmokers apparently reached out to the fray preemptively and said, hey, we kind of borrowed this idea from you. We'll give you songwriting credit. And that was nice because you hear a lot about these cases turning into legal you know, affairs and messes. And the fray were quoted as, um, basically, they reached out to us and realized that they used the song a bit and they wanted to just work it out before the song came out. So there was no friction or tension. That it happens a lot and unintentionally. So it's all good. Yeah. That kind of makes sense because I wonder if it had to do anything with uh, Denver area and stuff too because in closer they go um, from your roommate back in Boulder, Boulder right? Uh, yeah, so I wonder if they like thought about that too. I, I know it rhymes, but Denver? I don't know. Maybe connects in that way. Are they from Denver? The Chainsmokers? Or like any, I, I can't yeah. say I know much about the Chainsmokers' origins, actually. I don't know anything about the Chainsmokers. <laughs> don't worry. I'm, I'm on the case right yeah. now. I do not know the geographic uh, proximity yeah, gonna, of the Chainsmokers. In real time. Nope, they're from New York. Okay. Okay, well. okay so they just, you know what? They, they have some respect for... I mean, it, it rhymes, but maybe, maybe that was maybe it that rhymes. was part of it. That maybe they they knew that they were from. I don't know if, if they do. Yeah. If if the chain supporters want to reach out, if that's true, please reach out to us, and we'd love to hear um, yeah. <laughs> on there. So, anything else to add, Stefan? Uh no. Um, overall, I just think this song kind of grew because of its production and lyrics, which you two guys know a lot about. So we'll hear that shortly. Yeah. Yeah. So, Chris, let's break down the production then. Um, some similarities to Closer, it sounds like. Uh, not not spoiling anything, but what do you got to give us today? Well, I mean, really, that's, um, you know, when you had told me that, um, about that entire story, I that was one of those moments where I was like, <laughs> how did I not ever hear that before? Um, so it specifically is a commonality between the chorus of closer and the um and the uh verse of uh over my head it's the doom 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 it's kind of like a ascending and descending little melody motif but beyond that it, it i mean they also use the same chords are both in g sharp major and um they use the exact same progression even um it's a pretty and now okay this is kind of just getting into the the whole debates about the about um songwriting ownership over the past decade but um i i mean when i first was realizing that my first reaction was you can't you can't copyright a very very i mean generic frankly progression it's a good you know it it you can't copyright chords um now it's one thing if and this is this is all opinion but it's one thing if you're if you take a song like blurred lines where the entire arrangement has uh similarities to say the least to marvin gay's um got to give it up but this i wouldn't I would not call um I, I would not call anywhere near an obvious one. I think it's great. 
frankly, that the chain smokers reached out. Um, I mean, shoot, it, it worked out great for the fray, but it's just a very, it's a, it's an odd dynamic because again, like it's a, it's a, it's a really basic almost progression. I mean, it's just a quick little ascend, descend. And now the chain smokers kind of hammer that progression in over and over in EDM style, but, um, the fray, the fray do deviate it, uh, deviate from it significantly. It's literally just that, uh, not, it, it, it ends up being the intro of cable car, but it's, uh, but really it's the verse melody anyway, just a kind of an interesting now, Chris, commonality. Wait, before you get into that. So do you think that it goes back to like when you hear something and you're like, well, and you, you like subliminally think about like a thing that you've heard before when you're like making music, um, yeah. in that way, because like, I, feel like you have like those times where you're like this is awesome and i I, you know maybe you have heard it before but you don't think about it so do you think that that happens a lot and then do you have to end up crediting the who you heard it from or do you think it has any type of basis i mean that's the thing is i feel like that is the i feel like that is at the root of modern music is taking um taking inspiration at best and direct uh derivation from uh at worst from a previous you know a previously appreciated piece of art um and i don't necessarily i this goes down to almost a philosophical argument and i don't necessarily think that again like it becomes muddier when you are straight up cribbing an arrangement like the reason i reference blurred lines and got to give it uh give it up is that that not only is the melody, but it's the baseline cadence. It's the it's the entire percussion. Um, it's the it's the it's the drum beat. It's it's almost everything. Um, the only difference ends up being the um, the vocal melody, really. Um, and that is again, it's a gray. It's a very gray area. I don't want to say you know if let's say another band pops up. Um, and uses that same G sharp major B uh, B flat. I think um, I don't have the chords in front of me, but it's a it's a pretty it's a pretty reasonable um, chord progression to take out of that key. If if they were to make a song based on it, I don't think that they should then have to say, "Well, crap, we uh, you know we we got this from closer, so." Therefore, you know, Closer got this from the fray. So we're going to have to give everybody writing uh, credit on that because that becomes kind of a weird slope. Um, I And I almost want to say that it should be capped at chord progressions at the very least just because that's something that's so um, ambiguous. I mean, again, like when you get to the arrangement portion of it, that's a different argument. But and the whole thing just kind of just kind of gets me makes me feel a bit uncomfortable honestly i mean i i do think that um i'm i'm kind of you know i'm happy that the chain smokers decided to just say hey you know what this this is close enough i mean and i may be giving them too much credit frankly <laughs> like they might be they might have sat in the studio and been like oh yeah that's the melody of cable car you know and just gone off of that but um and i know we're kind of going on a tangent on it but it's, it's well, it, it no, is but, but it dynamic. makes sense because it's if that's the formula, like if it's chords that are used, like we know that chords for pop songs are are used over and over again because right. that's what makes them popular. So it is just an interesting t- tidbit, I guess, to think. 
Exactly. Here's the other thing. Chris said that the Chainsmokers might have not like um, consciously made this decision to rip it off or not, but I'm guessing the decision to preemptively contact the fray and say, hey, we're giving you co-writing credit probably came from executives at the top. The Chainsmokers are, let's admit it, a mass-produced pop product um, overseen by recording label, and they probably saw the direction that a lot of these copyright legal affairs were going, like with Chris mentioned blurred lines and they didn't want to get that. They knew they had a pop song and they didn't want to get in that yeah. mess. So they probably made the decision on behalf of the artist and said, just give them co-writing. Yeah. yeah but it's kind of not sad, but in that way that it's like the fray haven't done anything like you said, Stefan for years. So maybe they're just like, Oh, this is great. But like if it was someone else that maybe was prominent, maybe they would fight back. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it definitely, True. I think the reason that it kind of rubs me wrong is because it, almost implies that structure. Um, I mean, this is not the sort of thing that would have been even that would have been thought of in the past necessarily in the same way. Um, I mean, there's, it's just a, it's just kind of a weird um, standard. A precedent has been established. Yeah. Precedent. Thank you. Um, I think the, I mean, it goes, it goes on and if, you know, others are definitely far more knowledgeable about the topic than I, but if you, if you consider, um, if you consider philosophical theories of intention, um, when you're creating a piece of art, um, that whether what you own out of that process is completely up to debate, um, in terms of what, in just in terms of being a part of an artistic tradition. And it's one thing if you're blatantly, you know, deriving from a culture that's not your own. Yeah, when we get into uh, record labels kind of pushing the pushing it to, you know, better safe than sorry, might as well, like, whatever. Because um, then, you know, what we end up with is something here where two completely separate songs be- become pretty intrinsically linked, um, for better or worse. I mean, if, if it were not for... Um, if it were not for those, I think it's like five notes and like four chords that we would never mention the chain smokers in a conversation about the fray. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It's a whole, that's a whole other discussion, but it, it definitely bears mention. I'm glad that you brought up too, that um, it's almost something that the chain smokers, you know, like you said, whether that was them or their record label, whoever's volition just said, yeah, let's just nip this in the bud. Like this is, you know, the fray, the fray can co-write this like, mm-hmm. sure. And, and now Chris, um, do you know, like with this part, um, they're a band, of course, so they, you know, supposedly, and I mean, I'm thinking that they play their instruments and stuff, but do you know if they do have any sort of, since they are like pop, rock, you know, modern, or contemporary rock, do they use any sort of drum machine, maybe, or like production tools? So, well, yeah, I mean, it's, in the most technical term, yeah, any of those can be production tools, but um, it's it's interesting that you bring that up. Um, because one of the things that, um, one of the things that I, uh, kind of always remember about this song, um, and I think kind of stuck with me and almost preempted the fact that I would grow up later and love electronic music is that it starts out with a really quantized, um, kind of, it almost sounds like a, like a clock tick, um, at the very intro of the song. And, um, listening back to that today, it, occurred to me that could be a drum machine. Um, 
I don't think it is. Um, this, the way that it's positioned though, is definitely in kind of a drum machine loop style. Um, it's being, it's part of the arrangement in that way too, where it kind of fades into the background and becomes a backbone, but live drums are being played around it throughout. Um, and that's actually a good segue into just kind of the production qualities of the song itself. So the so the song was produced by um aaron johnson not really that famous of a music producer but um he he had a bit of a run at the time did some songs for secondhand serenade and a few others um he uh when he was when it definitely whenever he was working with this song um he was clearly kind of aiming for the same sort of canon that you know, we, we've talked about Coldplay, but the one that always comes to mind for me is Keen. Um, the like, piano-driven rock, uh, really, really dry, both um, both guitar sounds and tones and drum tones. Um, <laughs> and I say that, too, because I was kind of I was listening through it a few a few times because um, it's a very minimal production technique, but what ends up happening in the chorus, it, it almost, they almost just, as they, as the, um, as the arrangement kind of gets more up tempo for a second and leads into it from the verse, you can almost hear them turning the guitar and, um, and drum processing up. Um, the guitar gets a, a nice, really light fuzz. Um, very, again, very similar to kind of what was happening at the time. Um, Definitely reminds me of "Somewhere Only We Know" and a um, couple of other couple of other Keen songs around that era. But what what always is interesting to me about that is that you can still very clearly hear the dry. Um, it, and I don't, I, I will not pretend to know the actual technicalities of how they achieve that sound, but it sounds like they just they just put the dry wet knob of the amp like <laughs> directly at halfway. It's like you have a. It's like you you can pretty clearly still hear the the electric guitar strings. And that was a really big sound at the time. It's really crisp, um, kind of gives an intimacy while still giving you the dynamics of an electric guitar tone. Um, it's almost a, uh, it's almost a more polished version of what was happening in the nineties, um, with kind of grunge dynamics. Um, and for that matter, a lot of the, um, a lot of what happens when you get into the choruses kind of more, crescendo sounds is you know power chords and just really sustained um really sustained chord punches now for the drums what what always gets me is that it sounds like um in the verses now obviously it's not it's not completely muted you can still hear the cymbals kind of ring and whatnot but especially in that intro the reason that i suspect that it's not a drum machine is it almost sounds like the, it almost sounds like someone just barely tapping a kick drum with their um, with their drumstick on the snare drum, um, you know, and with a uh, with a, a some sort of shaker um, there as well. So it almost it it creates that effect because it's like it's just the most tiny movement. Um, like you can almost imagine them moving the mics in real real close and then when it uh when it becomes time just pulling everything back you get this big big sound um but it still has that intimate feel i i almost said the word organic it doesn't i won't i don't think that's necessarily accurate but there is kind of a feeling of 
okay, we have these, you know, it's piano rock. Like it, it can be boiled down into a acoustic piano rendition. Um, and I think that, I think it definitely is kind of in line with a lot of other songs of the era. The other thing that, the other song that this really reminded me of was It Ends Tonight by All American Rejects. Um, especially with how dynamics are used in that song. Um, yeah, I, I, I think in general, it's a really, it's a really concise production. Um, it definitely is more upbeat than how to save a life. But I mean, if you go back and listen to the album, um, I want to say this was the album that had, uh, all at once on it. It is. And she is, um, Mm -hmm. if you listen to that, I mean, those are, those are almost like, you know, direct descendants of Elton John being played through this sort of style. Like it, it, it can get more up tempo than this, but this is a good mid tempo. Um, it is technically a ballad in a lot of in in a lot of ways, but it, it it's a it's a good mid tempo kind of piano rock jam. Yeah, you know, I, uh, I I think it's I think it's one of those uh, sounds that definitely is of its time, but is extremely tasteful for what they were going for. Like I said, I mean, you can't necessarily say, oh, yeah, we're setting out to make a Grey's Anatomy type beat, you know, but they uh, but they they basically created something that was that was able to fit that mold if it if it were to be so fortunate. And it definitely did. Yeah, that's a it's good points made, especially with the breakdown of like drum machine and production, because you never know really nowadays um, if I'm not mistaken, um vampire weekend uses a drum machine some of the time too and like you would think maybe it's that uh, correct me if i'm wrong with that but no i think i think you're right actually that's that's a that's an interesting point too this definitely kind of this sound ended up kind of evolving and influencing that era of like i always hear it called blog rock and i definitely agree like it like the kind of piano driven indie rock at the time i mean that's the same sort of deal where you, you're like, okay, is that just a really processed, looped, like, very dry drum sound? Or is that a, you know, really smartly processed drum machine? Um, I really mm-hmm. do. And then how do we put that into live performances, too? Yeah, I re- you know, exactly. I mean, and kind of with, also with the fact that this was definitely more built for a live performance sort of style, um, it may, it really makes me think that what they're doing on this one is just a looped section of someone with a shaker sitting on top of a snare drum, like tapping the rim, like for that intro, which is a, which is a really cool effect, honestly. Like it's, um, you know, it, it does kind of, <laughs> it's funny. Like I, I, you know, I'm, I may be eating my words a little bit that I wouldn't have ever mentioned the chain smokers specifically, but it does kind of recall, um, electronic music in that way. It's built on a looped backbeat of a really tight, um, minimal kind of groove that you, you just kind of expand upon. And one area of the song for listeners, if you really want to hear that similarity, I know where you've talked about how we don't necessarily get why they have to get co-writing credit, but if you listen to the end of over my head and you hear that piano outro, it really sounds like, uh, the beat that happens after the chorus of closer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that's a part. That's where yeah, I that's heard it at least where it becomes where it went. Aha. I could see that's this part where it becomes similar. really clear. Um, I mean, again, it kind of returns to that verse melody and strips everything away. And then you're like, Oh, Hey, 
I was doing just fine. But, oh, God. Like, that. that's, yeah, that's the moment. That's pretty much how he uh, delivered that vocal performance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, man. All right. Well, thanks for the breakdown on the production there, Chris. Uh, let's get to some lyrics. Um, so over my head, we kind of talked about it. Uh, released late 2005 as the first single, first memory of the fray for me was probably How to Save a Life. Um, maybe you guys too. And then Cable Car. I think I got it in reverse um, from just listening to radio around this time um, too. So you can kind of think of the 2005 time here. So it starts off with uh, before, like when Chris said with the, uh, you know, whether it's a tapping of the, the rim of a snare drum or the ticking um, with I never knew. I never knew that everything was falling through, that everyone I knew was waiting on a cue to turn and run when all I needed was the truth, but that's how it's got to be. And then, you know, that builds up and it comes in with the drums and, and everything and the piano. Um, and it's pretty simple, actually, what he's saying is that everyone's waiting to run away from him instead of vice versa. So you kind of think of yourself running away from your problems and everything, but actually everyone's waiting um, from, um, or everyone's waiting to run away from him, uh, instead. So, uh, maybe it could be, uh, like what Stefan said with the brother a little bit, like I'm waiting to run away from the band or everything too. And then another, uh, cool line with this was, uh, I, everyone I knew was waiting on a cue. Um, so whether that's, uh, actors, actresses that wait on cues. So they're waiting for a cue actually in like a play, um, or in a movie. So that could be a little kind of a double entendre instead of like waiting in line for a cue or a cue, uh, for the actress or actress or actors and actresses too. Um, next line I'll break down is I'd rather run the other way than stay and see the smoke and who's still standing when it clears. Uh, Rather than waiting around to see whether he still has friends, uh, the tragic moment is all over, and it'd be easier to run away from it all. So kind of breaking off of the other line I just breaked off of, or just broke down, and Chris mentioned that on this album, um, She Is, and it's actually the same idea um, on that song. So if you listen to the song She Is, there's a lot of the same type of things that are intertwining within the two songs. Um, then you get into the chorus, so everyone knows the chorus, In Over My Head, um, one of my favorite longs, or lines in the chorus is, with eight seconds left in overtime, she's on your mind. She's on your mind. Um, I always thought that was kind of a weird line. I don't know what you all uh, thought. Um, I, I overtime. I, I, I love mean, that. We've got a sports simile. Sports simile. Yeah, it, and it is kind of a yeah. sport. It's very Fall Out Boy. You know? <laughs> I guess it's, so. It's very much <laughs> a, it's like a weird abstract um, kind of like pop rock uh lyric i just i just remember that was like one of those moments where i was like yes i could that sounds like <laughs> pete wentz like it's creating a sense of urgency like you gotta get her something's gonna yeah, fall exactly. yeah well i was like all right like eight seconds left in overtime so just a very specific it's very specific yeah. <laughs> it's not 10 it's not you know five it's eight seconds left um but um you know yeah so they said it could mean like it being like sudden death and overtime so you think of like hey we gotta you know coming down to the wire you gotta you know hit the last minute basket get the touchdown field goal whatever um or it could be him thinking even about it even in that stressful situation so think you're a point guard uh basketball player football player and you're like i gotta you know get this touchdown before time ends so it could be that stressful of a situation that even when he's in that, still thinking about it. What we yeah. think it is actually when you don't know the lyrics is 
you know, a lover in that sense. I'll get to that in a second too. I was going to say, if you, uh, if another, possibly a triple entendre is that, um, and this kind of plays back the line. I like that you mentioned that the line waiting on a cue is so theatrical because it does like it, it waits on a cue and then that's and like gets really loud from that cue. But in this case, eight seconds left in overtime is on the eighth beat before he stops singing for the chorus. Oh, Oh, maybe they thought more in it. Coincidence? Maybe. Maybe not. The song also reached number eight on the chart. Oh. I don't think they had that in mind when they were oh, writing they it. Probably that. number one. They planned that. <laughs> yeah, they said we're in the cap out of eight, actually. No, I just love um, that. I just love how like how dramatic this gets. I mean, it's it's very much a theater type uh song. It does. Well, it builds up, like you said, and then kind of just stays there until the bridge, actually, too. So even when it hops into the second verse and um, I'll probably end up doing most of it, but let's rearrange. I wish you were a stranger. I could disengage. Just say that we agree and that never change. Soften a bit until we get along, but that's disregard. You find another friend and you discard as you lose the argument in the cable car hanging above as the canyon comes between. So that that's a lot of lyrics I just said, but uh, a lot of it's saying the same thing. Um, so Stefan alluded to it earlier about his brother who he had the falling out with. So um, if you don't know, you think, like I said, a lover, anything like that. Um, but the brother's name is Caleb, and his nickname was actually Cable Car. That was the nickname for him. Ah. Um, oh, so, um, <laughs> Damn, I didn't know that. Yeah, so Caleb, Cable Car, um, uh, kind of a stretch in my opinion, but um, <laughs> it, that was his That was his nickname. So um, a Cable Car... Uh, so another double entendre, maybe a cable car could be a scary like thing for people to go on as it's, you know, high up in the air. It's very claustrophobic. So it is kind of that uneasiness that you might get if you have a, a fear of heights or if you are afraid of close spaces. Um, and then the canyon is symbolic. Um, it's a valley, a widening yeah. gap uh, between the brothers, too. So um, something that you might get lost in because the verse is pretty short. Actually, when you think of each verse, um, and it's chorus heavy as most pop songs are, um, you get a lot of actually, you know, um, not similes, but metaphors and symbolism that's going through um, as well. Um, And then um, the bridge as a whole, um, great lyrics, uh, great breakdown. um, But he says, without a sound, we lose sight of the ground in the throw around. Um, So mentioning the cable car again, losing sight of the ground is the cable car rises. So it keeps going up. Um, I think of, I went on a trip to uh, Gatlinburg, Tennessee, and we took like kind of a cable car type of thing up. And it is like you lose sight of what the ground is. You lose perspective of where everything is as you get higher and higher up into the mountains, wherever you're going. Um, And he's also just breaking down the pain of losing someone and drifting apart. So um, a song that you might think from the start is a love story is more of a falling out story. Um, And I think that there are a lot of different lyrics in here that don't get maybe as much credit as they deserve Uh, Mm -hmm. from uh, when you really get under the microscope and look, there's a lot of symbolism, a lot of really clever lyrics. Anthony, this is the lead singer, right? Who's the songwriter? Yeah. Isaac Slade, yeah. This dude is a very good songwriter. (laughs) Yeah, and like that's, you listen to it, or like, I mean, 
we're little you know, snot-nosed fifth, sixth graders. I don't know where we're at this time. Uh, I'm more like, oh, okay, uh, I'm bummed, you know? I'm bummed about life. I'm going to listen to this song mm. and just turn it on. Um, but it really was that he was putting what was a painful moment um, about, you know, breaking off from his brother being in the band and having this falling out that turned into the number or peaked at number eight on the billboard charts. Yeah. He made it really accessible for what is like you said before, like a really specific situation and like really specific kinds of lyrics. Like it's, it's impressive. Yeah. Well, it's specific in its own way, but also Stefan alluded to it, but you would sit there and think I could put this to my own life right? Uh, in the way. So I think it's kind of a, a really genuine song, but it's a different way of being able to reach multiple people, which is what's so awesome about music. Yeah. It incites that same, you know, heartbreak while it's from a sibling to sibling perspective in his mind. And it can invoke that within the listener, whether that's peer to peer love interest to love interest, sibling to sibling, we've all had that experience where you drift apart. So that's why it's so accessible. And he channeled that pain and made it really, you know, broad enough to incite that own feeling within Mm -hmm. yourself. And not a lot of lyrics comparatively to the past two songs we've, we've done, and it is kind of production heavy, but good uh, balance. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I remember um, definitely going th- when I was a young middle school, high schooler, trying to pursue a woman who was much out of my league. I would play this song in my head. Everyone knew I was in over my head, but damn it, I was mm-hmm. going after it anyway. And I'm sure thousands of prepubescent boys. Yeah, I mean, it's say. it's not too out of the, it's not too off of the mark though. Like you're, you feel like you're in over your head trying to mend this relationship or trying to bring this relationship to somewhere you want to be. Um, I mean, he's just, he's taking that kind of self-deprecation of doubt when you're, when you're trying to relate to someone. Like, I mean, like you said, anyone can kind of take that any way you want. Yeah. Prepubescent teenagers to moms, as we mentioned, moms, moms can feel the same thing. And so, everyone, and everyone yeah. in between too. <laughs> everyone in between. All right. We've broken down the song now, um, gotten the history, the production and the lyrics, Let's get into our segment for this episode, and uh, we've, we've done the segment before, but we've officially named it now, so kind of exciting. Mm. We're going to name this one The Top 10 Back Then. The Top 10 Back Then. Ooh. Got a little rhyming to it. Yeah, I know. Fancy uh, way of doing things. So uh, we know where uh, Over My Head was um, during this time. Uh, Stefan, what was the, the week that it went number eight? It was June 3rd, 2006. June 3rd, 2006. So almost three years before, well, three years before Knock You Down, actually. So be interested well, yep. to see who was in and out almost exactly. um, in this. So Almost a um, year after it came out, too, isn't it? Yeah, that appeared. Yes, it was released in October 2005. So it, it had a long rise up. Uh, Just like the cable and car. And it was long rise the cable up. Car. In the cable <laughs> car, exactly. Yeah, imagine you're in a Denver area ski slope and you're trying to get to that black diamond. That's what they had in yeah. mind. So, all right, so let's break down uh, the list. Um, so, what was number uh, one on this week? Sure. So, out of this top 10, I'll only have you guess number one. And. The hint. Uh, a, a parody was made out of it. Riding. 
Millionaire and Crazy Bone. Ryan. Yeah. Exactly. Two, I mean, it's uh, 2006. Like, and oh. White and Nerdy was wasn't White and Nerdy a top ten hit at the time too? I, you know, it probably was. I, think um, it was. I don't have that off the top of my head, but I know I, I played that on my iPod oh, Mini quite those a lot. Are so Correct me if different I'm different songs. I, I may be I may be extremely wrong. Like, and if that's the case, this is cemented for anyone to give me crap for. But I believe that White and Nerdy is Weird Al Yankovic's most successful song. Is it his best though? Maybe not. No, but it is his <laughs> most. It's his most successful. <laughs> All right. And Ryan's like, um, a great song too. Yeah. They're both great. The music video uh, that Weird Al made was oh, great. Yeah. Iconic. All right. So Ryan uh, by Chameleon Air and Crazy Boom was number one. What What were the other ones? Number one. Sure. So I'll just go down the list now. Number two. I think we all remember this song kind of in a sad light. It's Bad Day, Daniel Powder. Ooh, a bop. One of the largest uh, one-hit wonders yeah. from this decade. Um, it did hit number two this week, and then it would peak at number one. It's pretty so, similar uh, piano rock. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then we had S.O.S. by Rihanna. She's really young at this point. Yeah. Uh, that song would also peak at number one. And then we have Temperature by Sean oh, Paul. Yes. Great song. I actually was listening to Get Busy by Sean Paul today, which also went number one uh, at one point, as, lo- as well as Temperature, yep. but uh, great song is home right. So as yeah, Anthony mentioned, Temperature went number one. So you have number one, Ride In, number two, Bad Day, number three, SOS, number four, Temperature. Those all went number one wow. in different weeks. Good company. Uh, number five, we have Where'd You Go, Fort Minor. Featuring Holly Brooke. Oh, yes. Yes. My guy, Mike Shinoda. I think we all cried to that a few times. Several. Number six. Uh, I'm afraid to admit this, but this was my first um, taste of this band. Danny California, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Ooh, bold admittance. The, the song that got me introduced to them. You hadn't heard like Under the Bridge? No, I was. Uh, this was my first probably 2006 like i explored music going backwards prior to that was all what was in the present so that's fair i had a cool cousin who gave me it was a he gave me like it was on a hard drive he let me copy the files of a bunch of like it was all the it was like by the way uh red hot chili peppers um that's where i found out about coldplay uh, etc yeah like all just all these like early 2000s like rock stadium so. arcadium so snow too was on that one i think snow is my first yeah, one before classic. uh danny california but classic song both classics the number seven we're continuing to mix up the genre here we have uh snap your fingers yes <laughs> John yes featuring you snap your fingers was and so bad it was good Actually, I don't even say it's so bad. It's good. It was yeah, a great song. It was bad. Um, that song, my parents hated that song, but I loved it, and I would sing it around the house all the time as uh, yeah. sixth, seventh, eighth, whatever grade we were in, uh, middle schooler. Was this before or after Laffy Taffy? Uh, it must have been a little after. I remember Laffy Taffy in the beginning of sixth grade. I was in a play about the U.S. Constitution, and we would sing Laffy Taffy. So Sounds this was right. in June, so this would be after. Yeah. Okay. All right. All and right. then eight eight was obviously <laughs> over my head, cable car. Over my and head. And what were the last two for the top ten? 
Uh, the last two might be my favorites. We have Nine Promiscuous, Nelly Furtado featuring classic. Timbaland. Objective classic. Didn't Danger from the last song do uh, the production on Promiscuous Girl? I think so. No, it was Timbaland. I thought Danger was involved somehow. Maybe not. You might be you might be right they they, they collabed up. on a yeah. few different occasions i'm not sure if promiscuous is one of them but it's quite okay. possible and then look that up but yeah let's see what 10 is yeah and what, what's number 10 10 is another artist we've discussed on this podcast i'm gonna say in our lengthy history of three episodes <laughs> i'm gonna say neo oh and you're wrong it's oh, T.I. what you know dang it. <laughs> wow okay damn i didn't realize that was uh i didn't realize that went top 10 no, it did. Yeah, it actually peaked at number three. Hey, Go nothing figure. but the best for Joe. Uh, hey, nothing and, but the best. And Anthony, you were right. It is Timbaland. Yeah, Denver. I thought so. So, yeah. Yeah. Collaboration. So, yeah, I'll rapid fire. Go through this top ten because it's so diverse. Riding, <laughs> it's a ridiculous top ten. <laughs> Riding, Bad Day, SOS, Temperature, Where'd You Go, Danny California, Snap Your Fingers, Over My Head, Promiscuous, What You Know. Wow. Great, I I love it. I might listen to all That's those. A really good top I might 10. listen yeah. to all those tonight, actually. That's you know, actually a pretty fire playlist. Just you know, those top ten. Maybe you know maybe we'll throw is... them into a playlist uh, for you guys when we go through some of our songs. We'll see. That's a good. Idea. It's a great idea. You know what's uh you know what's interesting is that I we talked about how like how accessible and like acceptable to the central tastemakers of uh hollywood and culture at the time cable cars sound was but then you hear what's actually in the top 10 and the vast majority of those songs are not in the same mold okay granted like bad day obviously was a mega hit and that's that's pretty similar even where'd you go kind of gets in the same sort of vein but i mean you know it just goes to show like you it's not always uh you don't always have to aim for the common, uh, for like the commonality factor or the, um, and granted, this is a great song in that sort of canon of being palatable for the masses, but it's, but you know, you don't always have to aim for that for success. I mean, imagine Grey's Anatomy ever playing Temperature. Nope. It just, uh, it just, it just made it on its own yeah, just because it's, just it's a damn good song. Snap your fingers and, uh and over my head or back to back like yes. i mean you they'd be on the same playlist and you'd be like hey i'm a i'm gonna snap my fingers and then i'm gonna cry, cry. uh yeah, yeah after. <laughs> and that too well that will wrap it up again for another episode of over my head a look back at pop's past brought to you by the Los lovely boys if you want to hear our podcast as it drops please Rate, subscribe, download, listen, wherever you listen to podcasts. We are pretty much everywhere right now. So wherever you can find us, um, please go and, and listen. If you want to add your input to this song, want us to suggest a song for us to look at in the future, or just want to give feedback, you can email us at LLC at gmail.com. Also go follow us on Twitter, Instagram, anywhere that you can follow us. Look for us, Los Lovely Boys, um, on there. For my co-host Chris and Stefan, hope we weren't too far in over our heads on this one. We'll see you next time.